Project Up from Comcast is working to help advance digital equity and build a world of unlimited possibilities. From connecting people to the internet to opening doors for innovators, entrepreneurs, storytellers, and creators, we can help create a future that benefits generations to come. Over the next 10 years, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach tens of millions of people with the opportunities and resources they need to succeed in an increasingly digital world. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up. No great adventure ever started with, so there I was on the couch. Adventures should be fun. Adventures should be rugged. Adventures should take you someplace new. And if you ask me, there's no better place to start your adventure this spring than at your local Honda dealer, where new Hondas are arriving daily. Check out the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, Accord, Civic, and more. So you can stay on the couch if you want to, but I'm going to find adventure in a new Honda. Hurry into your local Honda dealer before they're gone. What's up? All right, all right. 86 Boxing Podcast, episode 15, Joshua City in the day. Once again, glad to be back. Glad. If you hear anything in the background, it's just my Airedale Terrier gnawing away at a bone. Got a lover. Man's best friend. Barrows, the name. So today is September 28th. It's on a Monday, they start to kind of wind together with this whole COVID situation being inside. I am taking it serious, though, of course, when I'm going out, I do have a mask on. Same with my spouse. All that good stuff because it is the real deal. And I've witnessed such firsthand. So RIP to all those lost to this virus. And hopefully we shall overcome. And I will say, get out and vote. Get out and vote this November for those in the U.S. who are going to be voting, but anywhere else as well. Just get out and vote. Do your thing. You know, your voice counts. Believe that. Anyway, enough of the politics. Boxing is full of enough politics, so we have our fair share there. It was a big weekend this past weekend. Of course, it was highlighted by the Charlo pay-per-view. This featured both Jamel and Jamal in what I consider the most twinsy thing to ever happen in the sport of boxing. It was basically a pay-per-view where each of them were featured as a main event. So it started out with one brother headlining the first portion that it that included three fights. Then there was an intermission. Then the other brother took over uh, and headlined that next section of fights. It was another three fights. But, hey, it was a good production. I th- thought they did an excellent job. Uh, the, prob- the first portion of it featured Jamal Charlo taking on Sergei Derevyanchenko. And he had his WBC middleweight title on the line. And he ultimately won a unanim- unanimous decision over 12 rounds. <clears throat> you get a drink here. Sorry. Yes, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. And the story of the fight, I would say, was his jab, overhand right, and his right uppercut because they were very effective at keeping Derevianchenko at bay for good portions of the fight. 
Now, Derevian Chaco had his moments on the inside where he was able to catch uh, Jamal with some things, but the clear and visible damage was that which was done on Derevian Chaco. Both of his eyes were bleeding, swollen. Jamal had a little bit of, I guess, redness around, I want to say, the left eye, but for the most part, he wasn't damaged a lot and I believe that his size played a major factor Derevianchenko he isn't a long lengthy or tall middleweight he's basically a stocky guy he's strong of course Uh, he has 10 knockouts in his 13 fights and his best work is done on the inside because more often times than not He's going to be in situations where he is taking on a bigger, longer guy as long as he's in the middleweight division, of course. And I thought that he did as much as he could do. And he was coming off of that grueling fight with Triple G, which took place last year. And this was a fight that went tooth to nails back and forth. Many, and I do mean many, think that Derevianchenko won. I recall at the time when I did watch it, I haven't watched it a second time, but I watched it live. And at that particular time, I thought it was a very close fight. I, I think I was impartial towards who actually won. I need to go back and look. Uh, but the majority of people do say that they feel that Derevianchenko was, was uh, he got the short end of the stick in that fight. And hey, maybe that was the actual case. But Great effort. It was a great fight. This was the first real legitimate test for Jamal Charlo, who's the bigger twin, again, fighting at middleweight. And I thought that he fast with flying colors for the most part. This was a big stage, and he arose to the occasion. He rose to the occasion during this stage, and he showed that he is a legitimate player. He should be where he is ranked in, in the middleweight division. He's most certainly one of the top five middleweights out there. We could you have those that are arguing that he is the best middleweight. I reserve that to Canelo, just given the work that he's done there at middleweight. But that being said, I think that he's right up there in the mix. Uh, and I would say that the second middleweight or second best middleweight, in my opinion, is certainly Demetrius Andre. I just like his tool set overall. And I think that fundamentals mixed with his athletics and his, his ability to cut sort of switch hit in a sense. I think that is an excellent set of uh, skills and tools for him. And I think that he would give Canelo, Jamal, all of them trouble. So from here, it'll be interesting to see what Jamal does. A lot of that is going to hinge on what Canelo does. I don't think J- Jamal is in the mix for Canelo prior to the sort of situation that is going on with Canelo and the zone. And if you don't know, they're going through some legal trouble and we'll see what transpires from that. But basically if Jamal isn't in the mix for Canelo, then maybe that Andre fight is a fight that could take place. I don't know. That'll be interesting to see, but hopefully we can get something uh, lined up here or even triple G for that matter. I think that two of those are, are, very good fights, excellent fights, and I think they'll be real tests for both fighters, whomever he's matched up with. But he is, without a doubt, a real player. Now, 
that was the headliner for the first portion. Then they went into the intermission. This was handled by Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell of CBS. I think they did an excellent job of controlling the intermission, providing the information that uh, needed to be provided, kind of keeping everyone in the mix of like what was going on during the fights that had previously taken place, as well as boxing in general. It was a tough spot. I heard some people complaining. And of course, when you're in a tough spot like that, where you're essentially in between the next set of fights, you're going to have your naysayers, detractors. But I thought that they did a excellent job of, of, of sort of handling this, I want to say, 10 to 15 minutes of sort of time in between the two, the two uh, fights or main events. Now, that second main event... The big fight there, of course, was Jamel Charlo, the smaller brother who fights at 154 pounds. So the super welterweight division or junior lightweight or junior middleweight, rather, depending on what belt or how you want to refer to it. But this fight it was Jamel taking on Jason Rosario. And in this fight, it was a unified uh, championship fight. So basically, the WBC WBA, IBF, and ring championship was on the line. So the winner was going to be that unified champion. Uh, Jason Rosario, of course, he's knocked out or stopped. Um, what's his name? Uh, the Philly fighter. Uh, sorry. Um, what is his name? Freaking. But you know who I'm talking about. The Philly fighter in his last fight. Jason Rosario stopped him. Yeah, J-Rock. Yeah, Julian Williams. Sorry, I had a brain fart there. But Jason Rosario stopped him in his last fight, and that's how he picked up the belts that he had. So this fight was a matchup of two guys that theoretically could be considered the best two 154-pounders. And it ended in a knockout for Jamel Charlo in the eighth round. It was a tense matchup, definitely from the start. Jamel Charlo did an excellent job of sort of stopping Rosario's flow whenever he landed anything big. So whenever he did get off with something that landed with significance, Jamel would jump in, grab him, tie him up. The referee would have to come through and try to break that piece of it up. So you can say in a sense that he did an excellent job of keeping Rosario off of his rhythm. Now, Charlo, on the offensive side, you know, apart from what he was doing there, on the offensive side, he was doing an excellent job of mixing in the right types of punches to really affect Rosario. He dropped Rosario at the end of the first round. One of the things that saved Rosario was the fact that it was near the bell. Charlo also dropped uh, Rosario at the end of the sixth round. Similar situation. It was near the bell, so he was able to get out of there. He was able to exit from that round without taking further damage from getting up to the knockdown. It just so happens. Tough luck, I guess you can say, for Charlo, but each of these happened at the end of the uh, round. Now, in the eighth round where it ended, Charlo landed a jab to the body, and it was like near near the belly button, basically. I guess you can say it was a diaphragm, and it essentially knocked the wind completely out of Rosario. He was on the ground grasping for air. He was counted out by the ref. 
And even after that, he was still affected by, spent a little time there on the ground, just trying to get himself together. It looked like it was more damaging than what it was, though I'm sure catching a shot there, knocking your breath out, there's not a ton that you can do. I I thought at first it may have been a shot to the head that kind of left him weary and not knowing where he was, but it was actually a body shot, a jab at that, which dropped him, which is an interesting thing. Funny thing is, when Jamel's brother, Jamal Charlo, took on J-Rock Williams, I remember he dropped him with a jab. This was to the head, but he dropped him with a jab in uh, one of those earlier rounds. But anyway, Jamel, he had the more telling shots overall in this fight with Rosario, and I thought that he had an excellent game plan. Um, they came in, and they knew exactly what they needed to do to throw Rosario off who was a fighter who, while he had that big moment against J-Rock, he wasn't necessarily a fighter where it was a surefire thing that he was going to be sort of the next guy up and he was going to be the head guy in the division. His only loss prior to that had been to Nathaniel Gallimore, who who is a fighter who was a very good uh, junior welterweight or junior middleweight. But he's been one of those guys that's sort of been on the cusp of that elite level, but just not quite. And Gallimore was able to get Rosario out of there uh, in one of their earlier fights. But Rosario seemed to have grown from that. And he got to this point. And I would say that Jamal or Jamel Charlo did what he had to do and pulled it off, answered any naysayers that may have questioned whether or not he was actually the guy at 154. And for all intents and purposes, at this very moment, it's hard not to say that he's number one in the division. Time will tell, of course. We'll have to see what plays out as far as the rest of the guys that are there at 154. And we'll see, but I think it was an excellent showing for both of the Charlos, and I think they answered a lot of questions on this night just by the way they won their fights, which one could say was in dominant fashion. Now, a couple of the undercard fights or the co-featured fights or whatever that were on there, Brandon Figueroa, he took on Damian Vasquez, and Brendan Figueroa had his WBA Super Bantamweight title on the line. He won this via 10th round TKO. And it was an excellent fight, excellent action fight. Uh, Figueroa was a longer fighter, and he he's not afraid to mix it up on the inside, and he showed that during this fight. Vasquez had his moments. He was battling back. Both of them showed a lot of grit and tenacity, and Vasquez wasn't backing down. But ultimately, he was overcome by Figueroa, who was nonstop with his punches, and he was a longer fighter, so he was able to work his craft from the outside and on the inside, and he essentially got the better of Vasquez and started to batter him over the course of the last two rounds, I would say. One could argue others, but the fight could have been stopped quicker than it was stopped, Uh, but it was stopped in the 10th round And I think it was a good call because Vasquez would have gone on to take further damage. And this is something that, you know, we always preach that corners know their fighters better than others. So they should be stepping in and not leaving their fighters out there to be susceptible to more and more damage. And sometimes that happens. 
But in this case, Vasquez, he was showing a valiant effort, and he just got sort of outfought, outclassed in a sense by Brandon Figueroa, who looks good, looks looks promising, uh, even more so compared to his brother, Omar Figueroa, if you all recall him. That's in my opinion. So the sky's the limit for uh, Brandon Figueroa. We'll see what's next for him. But he had an excellent showing in this pay-per-view spot. Another fight that took place there was John Riel Casimiro taking on Duke Micah. Now, Casimiro had his WBA Super Bantamweight title on the line. If you recall, Casimiro is the one who knocked out Zolani Tete. It was sort of a shocking sort of victory at that particular time because there was a lot of backing behind Tete. A lot of people were thinking Tete was the guy at uh, Super Bantamweight, and they thought that he was going to provide a real deal challenge to uh, Naoya Inouye, who was another champion there and won the World Boxing Super Series this past one for 2019. Now, Casimiro was taking on Duke Micah, who was an undefeated uh, younger fighter. And basically, Casimiro caught Micah with a temple shot in the second round. And Micah was stumbling and bumbling. He went down. That was the only time he actually went down that once, if I'm not mistaken. But from that point forward, he was just stumbling all across the ring, he was he was not there. You can tell that his equilibrium had been thrown off. Uh, Steve Willis gave him more than a short leash, I would say, because he could have theoretically stopped it within that round. But somehow, Michael was able to make it out of the round, and he came out for the third, and he still was on shaky legs. And shortly thereafter, he was caught with another shot. I think it was a left uppercut, left or right uppercut, and... Steve Willis stepped in. He was pretty much done. And I think it was a good thing because he would have certainly been hurt. And it could have been more uh, if that fight had gone on longer and he continued to be battered. But he just was not there. This was a step up for him, uh, his first real test. And Casemiro, hey, he showed that uh, he he's a veteran. He's got four losses, but he's learned from those fights and he's got pop. So... A lot of people are clamoring for what could be next, which would be a fight between Casemiro and Naoya Inouye, which is going to be an excellent fight. These two straight punchers, they can, they can both box, but legitimate punchers with each having a chance to hurt the others. And I think that it is going to be an action fight. So we'll see if that ends up being the next fight for the two of those guys. Then another fight that was on there was... Luis Neri versus Aaron Almeida. Almeida was one of those guys who was undefeated coming in. Of course, Neri's undefeated as well. Almeida, not a lot known about him, but he had an undefeated record. So this was his first sort of big stage test. And it was for a vacant WBC Super Bantamweight title, Neri uh, moving up. And Neri is another fighter we want to see in there with Naoya Inouye or even Casemiro for this matter. Neri won a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. It was really an uneventful performance from the standpoint. It was there was nothing anything nothing glaring and no oohs and ah ooh ah worthy moments in the fight. Uh, the question was whether Neri's power would carry, and I think the verdict's still out in some sense. It was a clear decision win for him, but I would say for those who 
hadn't seen him before or know, knew of the buildup that he had, I don't know if it really did anything for, you know, capturing new fans or anything of that nature. But I think he's he's a very good fighter, and I think what will bring out the best of him is being in there with the likes of Naoya Inouye. So that's going to be a name that's on a lot of people's minds. Naoya Inouye, the Japanese uh, phenom, I would say. And and any combination of fight he makes at Super Bantamweight is going to be something that is going to have entertainment value because he's just that type of fighter. Now, another fight, the last fight I'll mention, which which was on this particular pay-per-view, the Showtime pay-per-view, was Danny Roman and his bounce-back fight against Juan Carlos Payano, who was also coming back with a bounce-back fight. Roman lost to uh, Mirajan Akhmadayev. Uh, I think it, it might have been earlier this year before the pandemic, but Akhmadayev... He was one of those Uzbeki fighters. I seen him fight live, and I knew he was the real deal. And Akhmadayev came into that fight, showed that veteran poise. He has under 10 fights. I don't recall exactly how many he had. He may have had like six fights or something of that nature. But these guys that are coming out of the system, you know, we always talk like, hey, what's the difference between European fighters and American fighters or whatever? But I think that it's basically even now. I mean, if you if you really look at it, European fighters are no longer just those, hey, stiff, straight-up fighters that uh, don't really have the ability to move or footwork. So uh, these guys are right there. I mean, they're legitimate. And Uzbekistan has a lot of good fighters that are coming out right now. Um, you got Atmadayev. You got, they got a great middleweight who's uh, who's looking very good right now. I mean, be on the lookout. Uzbekistan, they're really making a name for them. But Danny Roman, he won a unanimous decision over Juan Carlos Payano. Interestingly, Payano last lost to Luis Neri, who fought on this pay-per-view. It was a back-and-forth fight for both of them. Uh, Roman got the W. I don't think he did anything to show that He's going to be the guy to pick his title back up, say, if he were to fight Akhmadayev again, which is, I'm sure that is something he wants. I didn't see anything that makes me think that he could beat Akhmadayev the second time around. So we'll see where he goes from here. I think he still has juice left in him, but I think, yeah, I don't see him. I would say I don't see him capturing a title uh, again, but we'll see. I could most certainly be wrong. Now, another big fight of the weekend. There are two other big fights. One of them, one I was super looking forward to, was the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Final. Now, this was the last of the second season of the World Boxing Super Series. If you recall, the first season of the World Boxing Super Series featured uh, cruiserweight tournaments. So, here in the second season, it's Marius Breedis. He took on Uniel Dordicos. Now, in the first season, Breedis lost in the semifinals to Alexander Usyk, who went on to win the World Boxing Super Series the first time around. Dordicos lost to Murat Gassiev, who was on a trajectory looking like a killer, who went on to lose to Usyk in the World Boxing Super Series finale in season one. 
So legitimately, these two guys, Breedis and Dordikos, with Usyk and Gassiev having moved up to heavyweight, were the legitimate one and two at cruiserweight. And Marius Breedis ended up coming into the fight uh, in excellent shape. He looked good, essentially picked up where he left off. Uh, the IBF Cruiserweight title was on the line, and of course the Muhammad Ali Trophy. Uh, and British won a majority decision. One judge had it 114-114, which is blasphemous. It was not a draw. British was, like I said, in excellent form. He controlled the fight with his footwork and never provided Dordikos with an opportunity to get off his huge shots. So Dordikos, he's known as the KO doctor, and he was unable to really get off anything to move or rock Breedis because Breedis looked excellent just fundamentally and with his overall game plan. As I mentioned, he controlled this fight. He mixed in a number of good head and body shots. He used this jab. He was working a jab. Uh, Dordikos is the taller fighter, uh, but the jab work from Breedis was better than what Dordikos was producing. And Breedis, he, he was moving in and out at the right time. He never stayed in one place long enough for Dodicos to really get anything going. Dodicos had trouble with his footwork and movement. And, and he could only really get off single shots while Breedis was mixing in some combinations. So it was an excellent performance for Breedis. And it was almost similar to what happened when Usyk took on Gassiev in season one. We thought it was going to be a closer fight, but Usyk pretty much ran the table on Gassiev in season one. Here in this season two finale, Breedis, for the most part, ran the table on Dordikos. Dordikos had a few moments, but there were few and far in between. And Breedis is no doubt legitimately the number one cruiserweight in the world. And I think it's going to make for interesting things moving forward. He's uh, 34, 35 years old, and he looks good. I mean, he, I would say he's at, he's at the top of his game right now. Uh, and as far as what he'll do next, it'll be interesting. There's high hopes for out of the U.K. There's a guy, Lawrence O'Coley, who's going to be taking on Krzysztof Glowowski, which is a Polish fighter who British actually beat in the – Semi-final of this season two of the World Boxing Super Series. British knocked him out. Uh, and depending on how Okoli looks, this could lead to potentially him taking on Marius Breedis down the road. But time will tell. But all I have to say is Breedis looked damn good. And he's a legitimate number one. Won the Muhammad Ali Trophy, which is a cool trophy. It's a good little prize for boxing. It's almost... Not quite as big, but it has that sort of Stanley Cup type size to it. Not quite as big, but but it, it's a cool trophy. And I like this World Boxing Super Series. They've taken the sort of best of what was the Super Six, the Showtime Super Six tournament that took place several years back at the beginning of this decade, uh, and they took the best of that, and they've made this a, a very good thing. And this year was even better than the last in, in some regards. They had Inouye, who won for the uh, Bantamweights this time around, and there was also a 140-pound tournament where 
Josh Taylor won the World Boxing Super Series for that class, and it was excellent. So hopefully this continues on. I want them to continue to get that major backing, pull these fighters in, because what we've seen with this is that the best fighters are typically ended up being matched in the finals. I would say that that's what this has produced in this World Boxing Super Series. Now, the last major fight of the weekend was Josh Taylor taking on Empinon Kung Sung, who's a Thai fighter, and the WBA and IBF Super Bowl lightweight title. That was sort of there on the line. It wasn't really much of a fight. Uh, Kung Sung was one of these guys we absolutely knew, knew nothing about. And it's kind of what you get with a lot of the Thai fighters. There'll be some with big records uh, or, or records that are that made it make it seem as though they're uh, probably better than what they are. And then you'll have some whose records, their skills match their actual records. I, I would say that's the case with uh, Sarissa Katsura Rungvisai, for for example. But in this case, um, yeah, it, it really was not. He was a mandatory, I believe, for one of the belts, but it ended up not being competitive because it didn't last long. Uh, Taylor was able to stop him with the – it was really kind of a left and right sort of uppercut or a hook-type punch right to the uh, solar plexus, and this was in the first round, and Kung Sung, he couldn't recover. As a matter of fact, he was down for several minutes, and this was from what looked like or what looked to be sort of just two kind of average thrown uppercuts or punches, and, hey, they really affected him. Hey, you never know with the body. Maybe he hadn't worked the body. So it ended very quick. I heard Bob Evans pissed off about it because of the fact that this was a mandatory fight. Anyway, now that that's out the way, we may get the fight that we want to see, which is... Josh Taylor taking on Juan Carlos or Jose Carlos Ramirez, who is the WBC and WBO champion. So this will be another chance at 140 pounds to get an undisputed champion. Undisputed. As a matter of fact, 140 was last one of the last two times that we had. Well, three times, really. So the last three undisputed champions we had were, well, I guess you can say four. So Jessica McCaskill, she became a new undisputed champion when she defeated, uh, defeated um, what's her name, Cecilia Brakus, the longtime undisputed welterweight champion. This happened like last month or something like that the, on the women's side, and also one of the other previous ones was that um, middleweight like a year or so ago. Clarissa Shields became undisputed middleweight champion on the female side when she defeated Christina Hammer. Uh, as far as the males, uh, Alexander Usyk, when he won the World Boxing Super Series tournament, he became an undisputed champion at cruiserweight. Then Terrence Crawford, before that was an undisputed 140-pound champion when he defeated Julius Ndungo 
uh, a couple of years back, and he became the 140 undisputed champion before moving up to welterweight. So now it looks like if this fight materializes, and it looks like it will, they're both with uh, top rank. Or yeah, yeah, they're both with top rank. So there's nothing that's seemingly going to stop this from happening. But we'll get Taylor versus Ramirez, undisputed champion, another 140 pound champion. And it will make for an excellent fight. If you recall, Taylor in his last fight, well, not yeah, no, in the in the fight prior to this Kong Song fight, took on Regis Progray in an excellent uh, fight for the World Boxing Super Series finale. They both were giving it their all. Taylor edged it out and won the decision, which rightfully he deserved. In what was an excellent fight from both fighters, one of the better fights of last year overall. Uh, and those were the two that were kind of considered uh, one and two at 140 pounds. And Ramirez is right in there. Some had him at three. Some may have had him at one or two. Uh, but now uh, there's no doubt that these two are one and two at this point. And they can take on each other. Ramirez, or, yeah, Ramirez is coming off of a fight with Victor Posto, he didn't look great in that fight, but I think that Posto poses challenges because he's a long and lengthy, uh, super lightweight, and he does a great job of when he's hurt of just kind of staying off or getting away. Terrence Crawford couldn't finish him either, and, and he hasn't been finished. Um, Josh Taylor fought um, Victor Posto, same thing. He had good moments, but Posto just has this way of – making sure that he finishes fights. And so I chalk it up to that. And both of them, that fight had been postponed and re-upped like multiple times. The pandemic broke out. So it was supposed to happen way before it did. Who knows how that affected thing. That being said, this is going to make for an excellent fight. When that fight does take place, I, I favor Josh Taylor. I give him a slight edge, but I think Jose Ramirez is one of the, better body punchers in the sport of boxing. And I think that will play dividends for him. It's just that I think that uh, Josh Taylor just has a, there isn't necessarily just one thing that he does great, but he has a mix of sort of everything from what I've seen. And he ha- he's dealt with pretty much every style, at least with only, I guess, 16 fights somewhere around there. He does, he's dealt with, pretty much the majority of styles that you can deal with and sort of use to make adjustments uh, as you move forward in your career. So I just like Taylor's experience in this. Uh, and and Maria, Ramirez has a lot of great experience as well. And he's been in some dog fights and he's been in with some good guys. It's, it's just that, um, yeah, I just, that Taylor, he just, I feel has a little bit more there not necessarily from a tenacity grit standpoint, just from a fundamental and just overall ability, boxing ability uh, from, from that perspective, I would say, if that makes any sense, just has a little bit more, uh, a few more tools in the arsenal. And, but I think it's going to make for an excellent fight between the two and it's going to be action packed. And I think that both fighters can legitimately hurt the other and, We'll see who's crowned. It's really 50 50 if, if you really shoot it. If I, if I were to, uh, if you were a betting person, like I said, I slightly lean towards Taylor, but I would say sit this one out because there's 
no guarantee as far as who will be the winner because it's, it's an excellent matchup just overall style-wise just with what each brings to the tables from an intangible standpoint and then what they can do. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's something to look forward to. So hopefully we get that here at the beginning of 2021. I presume that they'll probably want it there. I'm pre- I presume they'll want to have some fans there. So we'll see if that can happen. Jose is a big draw in California, that Fresno area where he's from. Uh, but we'll have to see how this pandemic is going from that point. But, yeah, those were the big fights that took place. Um, 86 Boxing Podcast, episode 15. There's going to be another one, uh, another episode going to put up uh, with my guy Slavin from Boxing Haven. We had a 90s boxing discussion, so be on the lookout for that. And plus much more. Be sure to hit up the website, 86boxing.com. Also, hit up the Facebook page. We have a group, 86 Boxing group and a page on Facebook at both of them, 86 boxing Instagram at 86 boxing Twitter at 86 boxing and shoot us some questions anything we got you have a good one project up from Comcast is working to help advance digital equity and build a world of unlimited possibilities from connecting people to the internet to opening doors for innovators, entrepreneurs, storytellers, and creators, we can help create a future that benefits generations to come. Over the next 10 years, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach tens of millions of people with the opportunities and resources they need to succeed in an increasingly digital world. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. No great adventure ever started with, so there I was on the couch. Adventures should be fun. Adventures should be rugged. Adventures should take you someplace new. And if you ask me, there's no better place to start your adventure this spring than at your local Honda dealer, where new Hondas are arriving daily. Check out the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, Accord, Civic, and more. So you can stay on the couch if you want to, but I'm going to find adventure in a new Honda. Hurry into your local Honda dealer before they're gone.